You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with breaking news and a huge visual distraction in Surrey at this hour. You may have already noticed it. A barge is on fire east of the Patullo Bridge in the Fraser River. Flames first reported around 5 o'clock this afternoon. This appears to be the same location where another barge caught fire over the summer. As you can see, it's sending a thick black smoke into the sky that can be seen for kilometers. We're told fireboats are being sent to help, but that uh, is out of reach or uh, very tough to reach from the shore. Uh, we have a camera on scene and we'll have more for you on this breaking story as soon as we get it. But that is going to slow things down in that area with a lot of people staring at it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, a British tourist is thanking North Shore Rescue for plucking him off a narrow mountain ledge. The hiker became trapped after using an outdated app to navigate the terrain. But it turns out his phone helped save him, too. John Waugh explains what happened and the many reasons he was very, very lucky. When Michael Buckingham first spotted his rescuers, the British tourist admits it was hard to keep that stiff upper lip basically just crying, crying like a little girl, you know. I just thought I was going to die for 15 hours until, you know, until the guys turned up. Understandable considering the 37-year-old had been stuck on a steep cliff for hours, worried that more than his Canadian vacation was about to be cut short. It was very scary. It was, it was tiny. Uh, I don't know how I got there. I, d I didn't know how I was going to get off. Buckingham was on a day hike Monday when he lost the trail on Crown Mountain. The call for help was made around 4 p.m., but North Shore Rescue could only get to him in the middle of the night. Our guys took about three hours to get down to him when they could see and hear him um, from above with ropes, and uh, they had a lot of difficulty getting down to him. While the tourist wasn't prepared to spend a night in the cold, at least a good battery and cell coverage kept him in contact with rescue crews. It's pretty much saved my life because I was able to communicate with them constantly, talk to them, find out what was going on. A member of the Coldstream Guards at Buckingham Palace, the trombone player is used to making a lasting impression on vacations. He just never thought it would be on a trip of his own. I really hope this doesn't get back to work. If it does, North Shore Rescue says it would be happy to get a nod from the royal family. That would be very nice, yeah, yes. I'm ready to receive it. <laughs> Buckingham is asking other hikers to be better prepared, but thanks to these dedicated volunteers... They were so incredible and, uh, you know, I really can't praise them enough. The British trombone player's terrifying Canadian experience couldn't have ended on a more positive note. John Hua, Global News. Police want you to take a look at surveillance video of two people suspected of slashing tires on more than 100 vehicles over the long weekend. Sarah McDonald joins us now from Burnaby with more on who police are looking for. Sarah. Well, Sophie, police are searching for two suspects in this case. They are both young men. They are white. They are believed to be in their teens or 20s, and police say they caused some six figures worth of damage in this neighborhood, including to the vehicle you can see behind me. Now, police are asking for your help in locating them. Burnaby RCMP releasing this surveillance footage earlier today of that tire slashing spree that happened early yesterday morning. The majority of those vehicles targeted, more than 100 of them, were parked here on the 7500 block of 12th Avenue, but another 
another neighborhood just a couple blocks away was also targeted along with a third street just across the border in nearby New Westminster. RCMP say the sheer number of vehicles impacted here is staggering this vandalism spree easily, causing damages well into the six figures. A car tire alone is about $200, $250, depending on the make and model, etc. So if you're looking at 100 times that, it's significant. But what's not involved in the cost is the time that they lost and, and the annoyance and the nuisance of having to go get a tow truck if more than one tire was slashed and the time that they've been either away from home or away from work to get this done. And it is possible the number of people impacted could still rise. Police tell us they are bracing for more reports as residents return to town from the long weekend. Now, as for those suspects, they are facing some serious charges, potentially dozens of counts of criminal mischief. Sophie, anyone with information on who those young men may be are asked to call police. All right. Thanks for that, Sarah McDonald in Burnaby. Charges have now been laid against three individuals in connection with a methamphetamine drug lab so large, investigators defined it as a super lab capable of producing five kilograms of finished product within a 24-hour period. Multiple units of the RCMP shut down the lab near Rock Creek in March of 2017. A search warrant executed on the rural property resulted in the seizure of a significant quantity of illicit drugs and numerous weapons. Charged is Dylan Crossland Schmode, Jordan Heron Paw, and Dustin Paw, all of West Kelowna. Crown has wrapped its case in the murder trial of Japanese student Natsumi Kogawa. William Schneider is charged with second-degree murder in her death. And today the officer who interviewed Schneider took the stand and told the jury what he was told about how Kogawa died. Aramina Dea was there. The officer's testimony appeared to be too much for Natsumi Kagawa's mother, who left the courtroom. The detective stood up in the witness box and did this, covering his nose and mouth, describing a gesture the accused, William Schneider, made when he was interviewed by police about how Kagawa died. Officer, how did she die? Accused. Pardon? Officer, how did she die? Accused. I actually don't know if her heart went or if it was her breath. The officer told the jury Schneider was in tears. Defense highly critical of police questioning the validity of the evidence because the jury can't see it. Police did not videotape the interview with the accused, even though it's considered best police practice to do so, said defense. The officer testified it would have hindered the open flow of dialogue. Crown has wrapped its case. Defense is next. It's unclear if Schneider will take the stand. Romina Dea, Global News. A news hour follow-up tonight about a woman fighting to stay in B.C. by claiming she's a refugee. She tried to convince authorities her sexual orientation put her life at risk in her native Cameroon. But some major holes appeared in her story and she disappeared. Tanya Beja tells us how authorities finally caught up with her. These are Angela's final days in Canada. She's been fighting to stay for more than three years. But despite her fears of being killed in Cameroon, the federal government is sending her back. Angela may have tried a refugee claim, federal court, compassionate humanitarian, but Canada's generosity comes to an end when no, no, no happens and you must depart. 
Angela tried to claim refugee status on the basis that her life was in jeopardy because she's a lesbian, telling authorities, right now they will kill me. My life is stressed and depressed. A claim Canadian judges determined had no credible basis, in part because she had trouble naming her alleged lover. It appears that the system um, picked out the inconsistencies uh, and then they rendered a decision based on that. Seven months before Angela's application, her sister was granted asylum based on a nearly identical claim. They'd even used the same address on their application to come to Canada. But Angela said she only found out about her sister three days before the hearing. When you see cookie-cutter submissions, where almost word for word it's the same claim, the same facts, the same challenges, question marks happen. The board drills down on credibility. In January, Angela took sanctuary in Vancouver's Unitarian Church, but was arrested last month when she left for work. After failing to convince judges and immigration authorities, Angela will be deported this week. Tanya Beja, Global News. Pipeline protesters who dangled from the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge will not face charges. Crown Council deciding there is a low probability of conviction. Greenpeace was behind the aerial bridge blockade last July. Seven climbers repelled and dangled from the span for more than 35 hours protesting the Trans Mountain Pipeline project. Five others were in place on the bridge to help support the seven climbers. Charges were put forward by police, but today we learned they were not approved by the B.C. Prosecution Service. A court date has been set for those arrested in a school squat in Nanaimo protesting homelessness. The group left behind a costly mess. And as Kylie Stanton reports, their actions have some worried. The focus is being taken off the actual need, housing. Police in full tactical gear backed by dozens of officers start the process of locating and arresting protesters. Hours later, all 27 squatters who forced their way into Rutherford Elementary Friday night were removed, each one now facing charges. 26 of the 27 were later released on promises to appear and all with charges of break and enter and mischief. There was one male who was held overnight. He appeared before uh, provincial court judge this morning because he had outstanding warrants from a previous criminal matter. In less than 24 hours, the group, largely made up of members of the Metro Vancouver-based Alliance Against Displacement, caused an estimated $100,000 in damage to the vacant facility. Inside, they left behind boxes of used and unused needles, weapons, a makeshift kitchen, and tools. School District 68 says it will have to bring in a hazmat team to properly deal with the mess. And the money uh, that is earmarked for our kids' education is now going to have to go to fix this. But the consequences of the protest are also impacting Nanaimo's homeless population. You're using them as pawns. Members of Discontent City confronted the group outside the police detachment on Sunday, calling them out, saying what they've done reflects badly on those who are actually struggling to find shelter. They don't speak for anyone down here. They were not voted to do anything. Nobody even knows they exist. I don't believe that they have anything to do with the actual interests of the, the homeless people and, and solving our problems. You know. The province has announced it's spending more than $3.5 million to purchase two sites where 170 units of temporary modular supportive housing will be installed. Transition from here to there is that's fabulous. Between that and potential rental housing, Discontent City is expected to be closed by the end of November. As for the 27 individuals involved in the protest, they will appear in court December 11th. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Nanaimo.
Vancouver's Robson Street is considered one of the great shopping districts in the country, but one longtime retailer is sounding the alarm after a staggering increase in property taxes. A kitchenware store is facing an extra $130,000 annual bill. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, they say the city has done nothing to prevent shops like theirs from closing down for good. By February, there won't be anything left inside the chocolate mousse. The kitchen supply store on Robson Street is going out of business when its lease expires. Slapped with an exorbitant hike in property taxes, the store just can't survive here. Small business cannot pay the bill for property tax that owners and developers profit by and we see nothing. And we pay and pay and pay. Commercial property in Vancouver facing a crisis. Already paying about five times what residents pay in tax. Stores in low-rise buildings face the prospect of paying for future land value. That's your airspace above your building. Tax experts say the situation is hollowing out one of the key components of the city's economic health. Residents are going to have to pay more if they care about their local independent businesses. That's just the bottom line. The current council basically left the issue alone for more than a decade. Now a new mayor could make things significantly easier on small business owners. I have had uh, roundtable meetings with the business uh, improvement associations. The number one thing they've been asking for is a review of property taxes, especially when it comes to commercial properties, uh, and I've committed to do that. The first thing we have to do is we have to stop the bleeding. And what we have to do is we have to make sure we grandfather people at their current rates right now um, so they don't see future um, irrational increases in their property taxes. One idea that has support across all candidates is splitting the assessments. Commercial tenants only paying commercial rates on physical space. Too late for chocolate mousse, but giving business owners down the road a break would come as small consolation. Small business is really important. Small business is why people love the city. It's, it's why the city thrived, and it's why tourists said, we just love coming here, and I don't hear that anymore. Aaron MacArthur, Global things. News. Well, some of those concerns will likely be voiced at a Vancouver mayoral debate tonight. Our Richard Zisman joins us with more on that. Richard, the uh, top four candidates will be squaring off, and no doubt this will come up. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, we are here in the West End now where that business is at the St. Andrew's Wesley Church, Chris. And a new poll is out today from Research Co. that shows the field is separating a little bit. There are 21 candidates. Let's look at how the top candidates are looking in this poll. You can see that is out in front according to this recent poll. 34% of people who say they've decided who they're going to vote for say they'll vote for Stewart. Ken Sim at 20%. Shauna Sylvester at 16%. Hector Bremner at 10%. David Chen at 7% tied with Wei Young. And Fred Harding at 4%. Tonight's debate will feature those top four uh, debating issues that are relevant not just here in the West End but across Vancouver, Chris. Well, uh, advanced polling will start so people will have a chance uh, to vote starting tomorrow. What do we need to know? Yeah, so you need to know where to go. So this guide, the Vancouver Voters Guide, available a lot of places in the city, very handy. You can also look online. 11 places, Chris, will have advanced polling. Starts tomorrow. You can vote from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. from tomorrow, October 10th to October 17th. General Election Day is October 20th. And if you want to learn more about some of the big issues, tonight's debate will be broadcast live on our Global BC Facebook page, and I'll be moderating. And we're going to try to take at least one or two questions from...
our global viewers on Facebook. So please tune in. You can come here to the church or tune in online and we'll get to as many of those questions as possible, Chris. Sounds good. Good luck tonight, Richard. Right now, though, with the daunting cost of living in Metro Vancouver, more companies are turning to non-traditional incentives to attract and hold employees. Case in point, the newly expanded Vancouver offices of an international tech giant, which have as much to do with wellness as with business. Grace Key reports. It's the largest software employer in the province. Premier John Horgan got a first-hand look at a 70,000 square foot expansion at SAP's Yaletown location. The company looking at Vancouver as a global flagship location. The talent here, all of you. Um, the pipeline for talent and so many fresh faces, plus many of you who've been with us for many, many years. The depth of knowledge and analytics here for SAP is unmatched. We have uh, conductive paint, so there's actually another project. SAP is a tech uh, giant with large corporations uh, using its software. Nice graphs as well. Yeah. And so this is just the one European of company has added more than 300 jobs over the last two so years to its downtown Vancouver location. But keeping talent in a city that's one of the most expensive to live in takes more than an attractive workspace. There are a whole host of obstacles in your way beyond just the size of the student loan that you're carrying. Uh, your inability to find a place to live. And we have a housing crisis that didn't arrive overnight and it won't be solved overnight. But I want you to know that we're doing our level best to reduce costs. Experience, experience that combines 175 interns work here at any given time with 36% getting full-time jobs within the company. You are our next best hope. Your success will lead to a greater things for British Columbia. And it's not just platitudes. It's, actually, it's genuine. And there's no pressure on you guys. I don't want you to feel there's any pressure about saving the world or anything that we've messed up for you. But it really does fall, it really does fall to you. The, new part of the, the province will be looking at more innovative businesses to help put BC on the map as a high-tech powerhouse, one that can compete with communities across the border. Grace Key, Global News. One of BC's best-known resorts has racked up another honor. Condé Nast Traveler says Tofino's Wiccaninish Inn has been ranked as one of the best hotels in the world and the top resort in Canada. The rankings come from submissions by nearly half a million readers of the online publication. Animal rights group PETA wants the city of Vancouver to ban fireworks on Halloween. PETA says the city should expand its year-round fireworks ban to include October 31st because the noise causes too much distress to animals. Nearly two years ago, a dog named Maggie that was spooked by Halloween fireworks ran onto SkyTrain tracks and was killed by a train. Fireworks are banned in many parts of the Lower Mainland, but Vancouver bylaw allows them on private property on October 31st. It's not just animals that we care about, we also care about humans. And it's traumatizing to elderly, children, noise-sensitive people, veterans, and anyone with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Firefighters from across B.C. and Alberta gathering in the Okanagan today for the funeral of a West Kelowna firefighter. Troy Russell's life was cut short by an illness linked to his work. As Global's Claudia Van Emmerich reports, the tragedy highlights the hidden risks of an already dangerous job. A somber day in West Kelowna as the community's newest fire truck carries the casket of one of its longest serving members. 
alongside some 250 emergency responders from all over BC and beyond, and the entire West Kelowna Fire Department. The firefighters from the City of Kelowna are covering our fire stations today uh, in order that we can all be here. The large procession to bid a final farewell to this man, Captain Troy Russell, a local firefighter who recently died of cancer. It's tremendously sad for me as the chief and, and for all of our firefighters. We miss Troy a lot. As his casket is brought into the local arena, hundreds of mourners look on. And we want to celebrate such a wonderful, wonderful man and a wonderful life. A life cut short by a disease linked to his firefighting career and therefore categorized as a line of duty death, the first one for the West Kelowna Fire Department. The cancer that Troy had occurs in a much higher frequency in firefighters than it does in the public. And as a result, uh, provincial legislation has determined that if firefighters get this kind of cancer, it is because of their work, and therefore uh, they're honoured with a line-of-duty death ceremony. It's a devastating day. Uh, there's a tremendous turnout. We have people here from the general public who've come out uh, to pay their respects to Troy. Touched by the tragedy. My son is a firefighter in... West Kelowna, um, so it's very close to my heart because it could be any one of us, you know, we could lose, you know, our kids. Russell was presented with his 20-year service award just 11 days before his passing in an emotional ceremony at Hospice House. He was so proud to receive his medal that day. As was and is his wife and two sons he leaves behind and an entire community grateful for his long-standing service. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, West Kelowna. There are still more tense times ahead for residents of a St. John, New Brunswick neighborhood who've been told there could be possible flare-ups at a refinery that was rocked yesterday by a huge explosion. As Global's Andrew Cromwell reports, there's also frustration over what they say was a lack of communication during the disaster. There's a steady stream of water flowing at the Irving Oil Refinery onto the diesel unit that sparked terror into this community on Thanksgiving Monday. An explosion and subsequent fire could be heard and felt for kilometers, flames and jet black smoke billowing into the clear sky. Miraculously, only a handful of people were treated for minor injuries, but for those closest to the blast, it was the scare of their lives and not just those on site. Gordon Dalzell lives in Champlain Heights and says St. John EMO took an hour and 40 minutes from the time the incident was reported to tweet residents that they would not be evacuated. I really feel that there wasn't enough timely communications to get to the public, and that was so important. The city is acknowledging that, the fire chief admitting he wished he'd reached out to Champlain Heights residents sooner. Because we weren't considering evacuation, I had, I had not contemplating what type of message I needed to send out to the community. First responders are being praised for how they handled the emergency situation, but the mayor says improving communications will be part of the post-event review. Could we develop a plan that says, you know, in a live event like this, we'll provide an update every 60 minutes? Uh, As for industry's public response when it comes to the timely release of information on social media, there was a 21-hour gap between Irving Oil's Monday afternoon tweet that it would be sharing more information as it becomes available to late Tuesday morning when it said, we can confirm the refinery as a whole is safe. We still don't know the exact cause of the explosion. Andrew Cromwell, Global News, St. John. Well, in a 
Kind of related uh, topic here. We've got some more breaking news for you and a huge fire that's being reported northeast of Prince George. This is just breaking in the last few minutes and the details are very sketchy at this point. We want to point that out to you. But what we can tell you is that's happening right now. Uh, there are concerns or there have been concerns that this is the local mill. Thankfully, we are told it is not. But obviously a huge fire burning near Prince George right now. Witnesses have reported hearing at least one explosion and seeing a fireball, uh, we have been seeing some reports on social media that this could be a pipeline. We have to emphasize that those are unconfirmed reports at this time. But a lot of people in the Prince George area can see this from their living room windows right now. That's right. And we've been monitoring Twitter. There have been a lot of images on Twitter, including one that looks like it was taken. And that might be the one that looks like it was taken by a pilot up in an airplane, even above the cloud deck, saying the smoke is rising up to the 10,000-foot level. This is obviously a major fire. The flames are huge. People estimate uh, upwards of 200 feet. And uh, again, the source is unconfirmed, but we do have a crew working on it. CKPG is going to follow up on it, and we are working the phones right yeah. now to get more information and we'll pass it along as soon as we get it. Uh, again, we do want to point out to you that we are told this is not the local mill, so uh, that's that's one thing we know mm-hmm. at this point, but we'll continue to work that, as uh, Chris mentioned, and we'll bring you more details as they become available. I do think that sometimes it's good to, to rotate in other people who can put that same energy and power into it. Another surprise departure today from the Donald Trump White House. U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley saying she'll leave her post by the end of the year. While she joined the president for the announcement, her decision did come as a surprise to many senior officials. There is growing pressure tonight on Saudi Arabia to answer for the disappearance of a Washington Post journalist. That says a new photo surfaces of Jamal Khashoggi in Turkey just before he vanished without a trace. This is the last time Saudi journalist and Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi was seen alive, entering the Saudi consulate in Istanbul last week. What happened next is a mystery, and now Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is calling on Saudi Arabia to support a thorough investigation. Khashoggi, a vocal critic of Saudi Arabia's crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, told the BBC three days before he went missing, he knew he'd made powerful enemies. When do you think you might be able to go home again? I don't think I will be I don't think I'll be able to go Turkish officials have two working theories that Khashoggi was kidnapped from the consulate or that he was killed and dismembered inside. Turkish security forces are now hunting for a black van that may have carried Khashoggi's body and two Saudi chartered jets that arrived and left Istanbul airport. Khashoggi had gone to the consulate to get paperwork so he could marry his Turkish fiancée. Tonight, she has a police escort. Saudi Arabia will allow investigators to search the consulate and denies any involvement in Khashoggi's disappearance. Richard Engel, NBC News. In Health Matters tonight, experts say the critical development of children with autism in B.C. is being put at risk by government shortfalls. In order to qualify for support and therapy, they need an official assessment. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, the wait time for that is now more than a year. Approximately one in 68 children is diagnosed with autism. But getting that critical diagnosis is now taking so long in B.C. that some experts say the situation is critical. 
This is a major crisis. So what the government really needs to know is the importance of early intervention. How long is the wait for a diagnosis? The Provincial Health Services Authority says it's 55.5 weeks, more than double what it was five years ago. From the time we phoned to get an appointment, it would be about a year. It's, it's stressful, extremely stressful for family members. BC's health minister is not offering a solution, but admits the wait is a problem. Do you think 55 and a half weeks is acceptable? Well, I, I don't, uh, I mean, on the face of it, it's not. Can work for you or against you? Early intervention is extremely time sensitive, especially for younger children. Between birth and three years of age is the most transformative time of the brain. The brain's forming all these neural connections and intervention is maximized when you're starting while those connections are being formed rather than starting while the, after the connections are already established. Private assessments costing thousands of dollars are an option for some parents, but not for most. Either hire more people so that they can at least get assessed. That way, if, if it comes through as a positive on the autism, it does allow sooner intervention. You, you have access to the funding. Autism advocates are urging the BC government to increase resources. Otherwise, they fear those waits for a diagnosis will only grow, further delaying help for those in need. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Our NBA superstar Steph Curry got the crowd roaring during a practice. We'll show you right after the forecast. But just ahead of Yvonne Schell, the latest on Hurricane Michael, which is now forecast to be a brutal Category 4 storm when it hits Florida tomorrow. More than 100,000 people have been ordered to evacuate, with forecasters saying some parts of the coast could see three-meter storm surges. Tonight, time is running out before a rapidly intensifying Hurricane Michael slams into the Florida panhandle. Hurricane Michael is a monstrous storm, and the forecast gets, keeps getting more dangerous. And if you don't follow uh, warnings from officials, this storm could kill you. 35 counties in Florida and all of Alabama under a state of emergency. Michael already drenching Cuba. A Royal Caribbean cruise passenger shot this video on the storm's edge. Hurricane Michael is going to be a devastating storm. Uh, to a part of Florida that has not seen a storm of this magnitude in quite some time. Today, a last-minute rush on supplies. Bare shelves, long lines, frayed nerves. Paul Potts is boarding up but staying put. This is one to watch. I'm usually not too concerned with the hurricanes in Florida, but this one bears watching. At least 120,000 people are under mandatory evacuation orders, including parts of coastal communities like Port St. Joe. Tell me, how worried are you about this storm? Well, again, I'm very worried. Because it, it, it's something we've never faced. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't know exactly what to expect. More than 2,000 National Guard members and hundreds of state troopers are on alert. Rescue teams just back from Hurricane Florence in the Carolinas are now deploying to Florida as Michael takes aim. Gabe Gutierrez, NBC News, Port St. Joe, Florida. Watch out for Michael. No doubt. Okay, let's check in with Yvonne Shell right now and a look at what's happening with Michael and uh, and also what's going on around here, Yvonne. Yes, it continues to gain strength. It is going to take target right along the floor, but panhandle, and it's expected now for Wednesday, sometime in the afternoon. The silver lining, it is a quick moving storm right now, though, as a Category 3 hurricane, winds traveling at 195 kilometers and gusts of over 240 kilometers, moving at a northerly direction at 19 kilometers per hour. It'll skirt 
start quite quickly, though, along the coast. And by the weekend, it should be back in towards the Atlantic. Of course, we'll have more updates as things progress tomorrow. Weather picture for us at home, though, fantastic. We've started off with fog for the morning hours and sunshine for the afternoon. A touch warmer in comparison to yesterday. 12 is the current temperature and a northwesterly wind at 9 kilometers per hour. 13 as the high for Kamloops. The soil is up to 15 degrees. And this is the main weather feature that we're following. It'll bring us sunshine and dry conditions over the next little while. Blip in the forecast, though, will be tomorrow and Thursday across the north coast, so we could see some shower activity. It'll fall as rain, likely late day tomorrow. And then Thursday is a wet one across the north coast and then dry once again right across the province. Here's what we're looking at tomorrow. So across the coast, an increase in cloud cover, rain by the evening hours, inland sections for Smithers up to 9. The peace tomorrow morning, the wind chill feeling closer to minus 12. Very chilly for the northeastern corners. Southern half of the province will still see some cloud cover across the central Okanagan, but a dry one in the south coast in many areas near the water. We are seeing fog for the morning hours, sunshine by the afternoon. And our long-range forecast, our seven-day forecast I'll show you, has plenty of sunshine even towards the weekend and early next week. A great shot this evening from our weather window sent in from Delta. Thank you, Ginny. This is from Vendula Farms. A great shot of what looks like in the early morning hours. Guys? A little frost on the pumpkin, no doubt. Okay. Thanks, Yvonne. Thanks, Yvonne. Well, it's quite out of the ordinary for a team practice to produce one of the highlights of the week, but then the Golden State Warrior Steph Curry is no ordinary player. Is there anything he can't do? Curry setting the bar high for the upcoming season, sinking an over-the-head, behind-the-back shot during an open practice. The Warriors heading into the season hoping to make it three championships in a row. And, uh, yeah, if he can make shots like that, it's not going to hurt. Quick update for you now on that breaking news we're following of a fireball near Prince George. It's burning northeast of the city near the community of Shelley. Now, one witness we spoke with says he heard an explosion and then saw that, a huge fireball. The good news is this is not the local mill. But we are hearing more unconfirmed reports this could be a pipeline fire and that smoke can be seen everywhere from Prince George and by people several kilometers away. Uh, flames reported to be upwards of 200 feet into the air and that smoke plume 10,000 feet into the air by some estimates. So obviously a, a breaking situation there and emergency crews on, on the scene. Uh, we will continue to follow this for you and bring you more details as they become available. Scale, obviously huge. So, yes, we'll keep an eye on that. In the meantime, here is Squire with a look at sports tonight. Okay, we'll start with the Canucks because uh, that game has just ended. Okay, so uh, goal scoring has not really been a problem so far for the Vancouver Canucks, although it is early days. Uh, they are scoring goals without Brock Besser having any yet. Uh, tonight in Carolina, game two of a six-game road trip. And while scoring goals hasn't really been a problem, keeping goals from being scored on them, that's another story. Well, he's been great so far, Elias Patterson. First minute of the game, first shot. Jordan Stahl just kind of throws it at the net, and it hits the net behind Jacob Markstrom. Travis Green seeing a little bit too much of that already this year. That's 1-0. Uh, Sven Berchi, look at this pass. I do get on Alex Edler a lot, but that's a nice pass by Edler to Sven Berchi. We'll take another look here. Perfect. And then Berchi makes a nice move here and makes it 1-1 in the first period. Brett Pesci. Is he Joe's son? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Do you think he's funny, like a clown? 
Uh, 2-1 in the first period now for the Hurricanes. And then Sebastian Ajo. Now, Brock Besser probably should get to him. Yeah, doesn't really. 3-1 now in the first period. Second period, Canucks on the power play. Power play was pretty good tonight. Again, Berchi. Bo Horvat scores at 3-2. That was 46 seconds into the second period. Andrei Svechnikov, one of the top draft picks this past June, basically outraces Pedersen. Pedersen does what he's supposed to do, tries to pick him up, but Svechnikov a little bit bigger and gets it to it just in time to make it another two-goal lead. Then another power play, and Sven Berge's involved again. And Pedersen got an a point there. He got an assist. He started the play. That made it 4-3. Third period. Oop, Besser gives it up. It's Warren Fogel. Ball game. 5-3 final. Carolina beats the Canucks. BC Lions will have Travis Lule as their starting quarterback for their next game against Calgary on Saturday. But the story at Lions headquarters is the guy standing beside him. The other quarterback, Jonathan Jennings, who was under pressure from management. The kind of pressure where his offensive line cannot protect him. Well, it was a headline story in Vancouver. It's a headline story that's now become a full-blown distraction. These are some of the comments Lions general manager Ed Hervey made in the province newspaper prior to BC's game against Toronto. The most stinging is Hervey openly questioning his starting quarterback's commitment level on doing everything in his power to become a top-rung quarterback. Days after these comments went national, Jennings still hasn't spoken to his GM about them and is still trying to make sense of it all. Were the comments um, true? in terms of wanting more out of you, in terms of looking at film? Have you, have you done enough to reach that rung that he wants you to be at? You know, I work my tail off, and, and you know, I, I can't speak for what he expects or his expectation level, but, um, you know, I've worked my tail off for four years, uh, have the same regiment. Uh, you know, I get in early and I stay for a long time. I do extra film work at home. Um, one of the hardest working guys in, in my mind uh, on the team, and that's something I've always prided myself on. Uh, I always prided myself on having strong character, and, um, you know, that I don't never thought that would be questioned, but, um, you know, that's just you know, something I promised myself on. BC Lions general manager Ed Hervey wasn't in a talkative mood at the Lions practice, at least not with the media. Hervey declining an opportunity to explain his comments regarding Jonathan Jennings. For his part, it's business as usual for Jennings, but you have to wonder what this all means for his future here in BC. You know, uh, athletes that succeed are, are mentally tough people, and uh, if comments bother you, you know, they bother you. You know, if they, they shouldn't because it doesn't matter, the way I always look at it, it doesn't matter what somebody says, what matters is what you think about yourself. Is it a valid criticism though, Wally? You've worked with, you've worked with John. I, I can't say if it was a valid, I don't think it was a criticism. It was just a stated fact. Just one day after Google announced it was shutting down its new social network website because of a bug that exposed the personal information of a half million people, the company is trying to rebound. The tech giant unveiling a host of new products today, including a new smartphone and a gadget it hopes will make it into every room in your home. 
That is the power of Google Home Hub. Google fired the latest volley in the home smart speaker battle this morning. Its new Home Hub combines a small video screen with an internet-connected speaker and digital assistant. We really want to build a device that can work in any room in your house, including your private spaces like bedrooms. But unlike Facebook's portal device introduced on Monday, Google's Home Hub does not include a camera. And we felt like we can deliver an amazing product experience without users having to force a camera in all these different rooms. At $149, Home Hub's price undercuts Facebook's portal, as well as Amazon's Echo Show. It's a Trojan horse to get you really into that ecosystem, giving you low-cost hardware, because then you'll become a long-term customer of a lot of other services. Google's newest Pixel phones were also showcased, with an emphasis on the quality of the camera, trying to make inroads against Apple's iPhone and Samsung's Galaxy. So that's the one way they can stand out, but it's still a difficult road for them. But at a $799 starting price, $200 less than Apple's new XS phone, Google's hoping it can sway cost-conscious consumers. Mark Bart, NBC News. I can't even keep up. I say every morning, okay, Google, turn on the lights. And then every now and again, I say other things, and it speaks up, and I wasn't talking to it. So and that's it creepy. creepy. Yeah. I haven't spoken to my Google Home in months. I know, <laughs> it called me neglected. and said it's, it's feeling yeah. neglected. Well. I still feel like I can do the lights myself.